There are so many good songs, uh, especially with country music, where you can you can just uh, learn all about life. You can um, have your woes sung to and uh, commiserate with others as you deal with all of the challenges of life. Uh, but there is a uh, one song that I think really matches what we're talking about today, and it's Rodney Atkins' "If You're Going Through Hell." Now. Winston Churchill, I think this quote is attributed to Churchill, uh, if you're going through hell, keep on going. Uh, And I was going to sing this for you, but Bill wouldn't let me. Um, (laughs) here, Here are the lyrics, or at least some of the lyrics. Well, you know those times when you feel like there's a sign there on your back. Says, I don't mind if you kick me. Seems like everybody has. That's sad, right? Pretty terrible. Uh, Things go from bad to worse. You think they can't get worse than that. And then they do. Just off to a great start, right? You step off the straight and narrow and you don't know where you are. Use the needle of your compass to sew up your broken heart. Ask directions from a genie in a bottle of Jim Beam. And she lies to you. That's when you learn the truth. If you're going through hell, keep on going. Don't slow down. If you're scared, don't show it. You might get out before the devil even knows you're there. Well, I've been deep down in that darkness. I've been down to my last match. Felt a hundred different demons breathing fire down my back. And I knew that if I stumbled, I'd fall right into the trap that they were laying. But the good news is that there's angels everywhere out on the street, holding out a hand to pull you back upon your feet. The ones that you've been dragging for so long, you're on your knees. You might as well be praying. Guess what I'm saying? If you're going through hell, keep on going. Don't slow down. If you're scared, don't show it. You might get out before the devil even knows you're there. And on the song continues. And as I was reading through our scripture for this week, uh, earlier this week, this song popped into my head. I'm not sure uh, when the last time I I heard this uh, song was, but it definitely, I can't say that it was divinely inspired, but uh, it was one of those things where I just kind of thought, wow, this kind of matches with uh, this whole idea of not only our New Testament reading, but also our reading from the Hebrew Scripture, from Psalm 23, and about the Good Shepherd. In fact, today is the Good Shepherd Sunday. And there are some other verses that we did not have time to, uh, to hear and to read this morning in worship. But all of them relate to this uh, part of God's revelation of... Uh, being a shepherd, uh, as the psalmist says, the Lord is my shepherd. And Jesus picks up on this as well. The one that I, Israel looked for for so long, for a shepherd to come and to guide Israel back to where God wanted them to be. And so as we hear from this scripture today, it relates to our lives. Because whether or not you feel like Rodney Atkins today... Uh, you might tomorrow feel like you're going through hell. And if we had a testimony time this morning, 
uh, we would have lots of stories of that, wouldn't we? Of the ups and downs of life and the things that drag us down and the demons we feel breathing down our back. And that may be a very present reality for you even this morning. So I want us to consider what does this good shepherd have to do with going through difficult times? And how is it that we could ever get through difficult times without a good shepherd? So I want to invite you to look back. If You, you probably know the 23rd Psalm by, by your uh, memory, right? Everybody could, could recite that, probably in King James. It's a little better when you do it in King James. Uh, but uh, as, you, as you think about uh, that scripture, as well as the first Peter scripture that you, you just heard a moment ago, uh, if you'll look at that, if you look in your Bible, and I don't have the same Bible, so I don't have the page number in the Pew Bible, but if you look at First Peter, back towards the back, and it's the one right before Second Peter, <laughs> if that will help you, yeah. First Peter chapter 2. This is a letter written by Peter to churches that would be in modern-day Turkey for the most part. Cappadocia, Bithynia, Galatia, all of these places uh, had churches. Just like we're gathered here this morning, there were people who gathered, gathered into a house church, and they were dealing with the persecution uh, that they were receiving because they were following Jesus and because they were preaching the resurrection and, and all of this. And so uh, there were plenty of people who were coming after them. And we find from church history as well as from Hebrews and others where uh, some of them you know, had their tongues cut out. Some of them were tortured. Some were cut in half. These were people dealing with real suffering. Real hell. And so as they were going through all of these challenges, Peter writes to them and says, here's some hope for you. He doesn't explain away the suffering. He doesn't say, you know, that's too bad that you are suffering. You uh, must have sin in your life. Or it must be because you uh, haven't read the scripture enough. Or it must be because you're not rich or... Uh, there has to be some kind of problem. He doesn't do that at all. He says it's a reality, but here's how you get through it. He points them to a good shepherd, to Jesus himself. This is something Peter knew very well as really the leader of the disciples, as he would lead not only before Jesus died, but then after the resurrection. So if you'll look here at 1 Peter 2, 18. Now, the lectionary readings that we have, um, churches all around the, the world are reading the same scriptures. We don't always pick the same uh, one, whether it's Old Testament or New Testament, but we have all of them together. And all of them, at least in the revised common lectionary, leave out verse 18. Why do you think they do that? Because it talks about slavery. Slaves, accept the authority of your masters with all deference. Most churches feel like they're going to lose most everybody after that phrase, right? Well, especially uh, if this is being read in a predominantly African-American church, right? No one wants to hear this about slavery. 
slaves. It's like it's, Peter is saying, well, it's okay to have slaves. It's okay for slavery to exist in the world. And since you are slaves, be good slaves. Take your beating. Be willing to do whatever you have to do to please your master. And I think if we read it that way, we are reading it uh, perhaps in the wrong way, that we're not uh, understanding all of what's here. Certainly, there is a justice issue here. Any slavery is wrong. Uh, As we think about slavery, we do think about slavery here in America uh, and how horrible that is, uh, was, and, and is as we think about modern-day slavery. But here, uh, we also know that these were people who were indentured, uh, who were paying off debts, and they uh, were uh, in these churches that Peter was writing to. He knew that this was a reality that these congregations were dealing with. And he is writing to them to give them some idea about how to relate to the injustice uh, that they are in. And, uh, but there are a lot of problems that people have with this particular text, uh, especially in terms of if a woman who has been beaten by her husband reads this. If you keep on, and, and we won't, but if you keep on, uh, there is the part in there that all men like about uh, wives submit to your husbands, right? Good. I'm glad no one said amen. None of you guys said that. You would be in big trouble. No, that's another thing that it would take us a long time to kind of work through that. But uh, there is something here about if you're beaten, you know, just uh, don't retaliate. Take it. Uh, And and that's not what what Peter is getting at here either. So let's take a look at it in terms of, for us as a church, how is it that Christians are to move forward through the hell of injustice, whatever injustice. We have plenty of examples of injustice today. Plenty. Uh, And you know those that relate to our society, but also for you as an individual. Maybe you have been bullied. Maybe you have been ripped off. Maybe you've been persecuted. Maybe you have been the victim of a crime. I mean, there are all kinds of things that that we could list here. And I want you to think about those things, especially in your own life. And as we hear from these words, we find that there is this great uh, component to the life of Christ that is centered on how he entrusted his life to God. Uh, And this is what Peter tells us, that uh, he points them to Jesus and he says, uh, if you endure when you're doing right and suffer for it, you have God's approval. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you should follow in his steps. And then in verse 23, when he was abused, he did not return abuse. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. And the imagery that is there for us is of Jesus uh, committing himself to God. I think in this um, image you, you see, and you can see this in the Garden of Gethsemane and other places where Jesus is praying, and he's praying with everything that he has, and he is entrusting God as 
the one who is going to guide and direct him through the injustice uh, and all the injustices that he's dealing with uh, as he lived on this earth, but certainly as he goes to the cross and bears all of that. And he is continuing to entrust. It wasn't just a one-time thing, but it was something that would have continued. One of uh, the Puritans, uh, Puritan reformers, if you ever had to read Pilgrim's Progress in, uh, I think we had it assigned to us in high school, uh, and it uh, wasn't anything I was real interested in reading. Uh, Later, I would become interested in it, but uh, here's this Puritan reformer who is preaching and is not supposed to be preaching. The Anglican Church had said, you can't do this. You are not ordained and licensed by us. And the way he read his Bible was that anybody can preach. That God, whoever God calls to preach should be able to preach. And so he maintains this, and they say, if you keep doing this, you're going to be put um, into jail. And so this is what happened to him. And uh, one of the, uh, the things that he had mentioned when local magistrates um, were threatening him this, uh, he had commented that he would remain in prison till the moss grew on his eyelids rather than fail to do what God had commanded him to do. And he did. He spent a lot of time in prison. He got out of prison. He spent uh, time in trouble because he was preaching and doing what God called him to do. But he had entrusted himself. We are to entrust ourselves to God as we deal with the injustices of life. That's not an easy thing. Is it? And it's something that we, we need to do. It's a decision that we need to make. It is a line in the sand that we draw. Because when we are tested, as Bunyan was, as the Christians that Peter was writing to were, and as Jesus himself was tried, our commitment of entrusting ourselves to God will be tried over and over again. And sometimes we will fail to live as though we really trust in God. We want to trust ourselves or we want to trust other things. But we realize that God is the only one that is going to get us through. So it's not just a one-time thing. I think it's a daily thing. And especially if you're dealing in the midst of suffering and going through the difficulties, whether they are caused by just being in this world or someone who is deliberately trying to Uh, to ruin your life and to keep you from doing what God wants you to do. You're going to have those challenges, but entrust yourself. But we also follow Jesus and this good shepherd who is leading us. We follow him through the injustice by keeping an understanding of the power of nonviolent resistance. Uh, one of the things, we, we also heard from uh, the 23rd Psalm, and, and one of the things that is, is there is this confidence. The, the psalmist, David, had not only entrusted uh, God as his shepherd. You know, he says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And he does all of this for me and with me. But then he goes on to say, even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. I just, I can make it. I can get through hell by keeping 
my focus on the one who is leading me. I'm going to follow in the direction that he is taking me. And then he says, your rod, your staff, they comfort me, they guide me. There is a sense of protection that goes with that. And then he says, uh, you know, I, I dine in the presence of my enemies. You prepare a table for me right here in the presence of my enemies. And I always think about how David is sitting at that table just laughing, you know, just thinking, y'all can't do anything to hurt what God is doing in this world and what God has called me to do as king. And he has no fear. And this making a, uh, a trust in God has a way of working itself out in doing some things that will um, put the enemies in check. And as Peter is writing to the people there uh, in, in all these different churches, he says, look at Jesus. Jesus did not retaliate. Think about that. Jesus is assigned to a cross and he picks up that cross knowing what happens to people when they are assigned uh, crucifixion on a cross. I'm sure he had seen people out on the edge of the city, these thieves and uh, insurrectionists and others who had been nailed to crosses on the outskirts of the city so that if you are a visitor coming into the city, you know that they don't play, right? You're not going to be able to uh, create trouble in the city or that's going to happen to you. So Jesus does this. He doesn't retaliate. I'm sure there were some of his disciples um, who thought, well, you know, Jesus is going to um, have this great army come in and rescue him or he, um, he's going to have knives and, and weapons and things that we could use to defend him and we're going to keep moving forward. But that didn't happen. Jesus did not threaten. He barely said anything at all. And if you think about when he is standing in front of Pilate, Pilate's trying to get all these answers out of him. And what Jesus is doing is exposing evil. Exposing the injustice that is in their world. Exposing sin. Rebellion against God and God's ways in the world. That God did not want a Caesar. God wanted the kingdom of God, to be the realm that they existed in. And so as we think about Jesus and, and all the things that he did to expose all of this, we see this nonviolent resistance. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr. said this, that human progress is neither automatic nor inevitable. Every step toward the goal of justice requires sacrifice, suffering, and struggle, the tireless exertions and passionate concern of dedicated individuals. And that's how he lived, and that's how he died. And we are called to understand that as well, that there is great power in doing things and resisting evil and injustice in the way that God has called us to do. And we understand that as a church, and we're to understand that as individuals as well. And we do it by looking at the example of Jesus. One thing that Protestants, Protestants don't tend to do is have crucifixes, right? This is kind of a Catholic thing. And uh, 
it is uh, one of those things where we say, well, Jesus isn't on the cross any longer. So why would we continue to keep Jesus on the cross when he got off the cross and uh, later was, was uh, resurrected from the dead? And uh, there's a lot that goes into the theology of this and the practice of uh, looking at that crucifix. But if, if you look at this, you see what Jesus was doing. He was suffering. And Peter links that to Isaiah 53, the suffering servant. And he was nailed to a tree, as Peter says here. And we can look at that and identify with our suffering servant. The one who came to expose in such a radical way the evil of the world, the love of God, and the hope for the world. N.T. Wright says he was the uh, rebel of the rebels. He became the chief rebel, but a rebel for God and wanting, wanting to do what God had assigned him to do in the world. And we, we need to look to Jesus for that. And we also need to learn how to dine in front of our enemies. There's no need for any of you to fear anyone, whether you're bullied uh, or whether you are um, uh, treated unfairly uh, in, in some way, whether it is something we, we heard about Alton Sterling and um, the, um, the uh, ruling this past week down in Baton Rouge about the uh, two police officers who um, were not going to be uh, charged or uh, convicted of, of, um, of murder. And there is this great sense of injustice that is there. And other things like this that, that happened right here uh, in our own state. And as we think about all of those things... We need to learn, how can we counteract that? We don't just lay down and let things happen. How can we, with our wisdom, resist that, expose that, and change it? This uh, next Saturday, uh, there's going to be a uh, session here uh, that is uh, going to be nonviolent direct action uh, training. Uh, for people who want to learn how to do this, how to dine in the presence of your enemies, and how to expose the sins and the evil uh, of our world without getting involved in doing the same things they're doing. So that's going to be from like 9 to 2, and Francis could give you some more information about that. But we see Jesus involved in all this. But, but finally, we see that uh, He keeps the end in mind. And that's how we get through is by keeping the end in mind. And Peter talks about Jesus continuing on. He does all of this for us. He is doing something in the world. He could have said, this is enough. I don't want any more of this. This is going to cost me my life. I'm going to just go do something. I'm going to be a consultant. <laughs> Or do something else, but I'm not going to die on a cross. But he understood that there was going to be the need for him to do so. And he did. And the psalmist realized the end as well. Uh, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. He sees the future and how God is walking with him in the future. Not that it's going to be an easy future, but that God is with him. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord... Forever. He is looking to the end. And we need to look to the end as well. 
And when you're going through difficult times, try not to get bogged down in the present. Look ahead and see what God is doing and what God wants to do. You probably are familiar with James uh, Stockton, Stockdale. And uh, there's a, a book by Jim Collins that is uh, Good to Great. And he writes about uh, Jim Stockdale, who was captured in Vietnam and was the highest-ranking uh, United States military officer that was in the Hanoi Hilton uh, as a prisoner of war. And he was tortured over 20 times during his eight-year imprisonment from 1965 to 1973. And Stockdale lived out the war without any prisoner's rights, no set release date, and no certainty as to whether he would even survive to see his family again. Sounds like life in a Louisiana prison. He shouldered the burden of command, doing everything he could to create conditions that would increase the number of prisoners who would survive unbroken while fighting an internal war against his captors and their attempts to use the prisoners for propaganda. At one point, he beat himself with a stool and cut himself with a razor, deliberately disfiguring himself so he could not be put on a videotape as an example of a well-treated prisoner. He exchanged secret intelligence information with his wife through their letters, knowing that discovery would mean more torture and perhaps death. And Jim Collins writes that he had the chance to meet Stockdale, who now walks with a limp because his stiff leg never fully recovered from the repeated torture. And Collins asked Stockdale how he could deal with the uncertainty of his fate and the brutality of his captors when he did not know the end of the story. He says... I never lost faith in the end of the story. I never doubted not only that I would get out, but also that I would prevail in the end and turn the experience into the defining event of my life, which in retrospect I would not trade. I never lost faith in the end of the story. The good news for us is at the end of the story, we find our good shepherd. Let us pray.